watching on live stream tonight, um, Facebook Live, welcome. Glad to have you join us tonight as well. Thank the Lord. Stand with me tonight as our ushers come. And um, we want to go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Um, Sister Wheeler's dad uh, is not doing well tonight and needs desperately needs our prayer. Uh, they are with him tonight in the hospital. Um, so if you'd remember Sister Wheeler's dad and also uh, Skylar, uh, Lori's daughter, is uh, scheduled to have surgery Monday. And uh, if we could remember her and them in prayer tonight, they would deeply, deeply appreciate it. Thank the Lord. Aren't you glad we have a God we can call on in the time of need? Thank the Lord. I'm thankful for Jesus. He never leaves us. He never fails us. And I'm thankful for his faithfulness. As we pray over the offering tonight, let's pray for these needs and uh, let's let the Lord bless. Father, we love you tonight. We're thankful to have you as a friend, a savior, a redeemer, a deliverer, a counselor. We're thankful to have you by our side every minute of every hour of every day. And I'm thankful, God, for all of your blessings and the things that you bestow upon our lives. We pray tonight for Sister Wheeler and her family, that you would be with them in this time of need. Pray for her dad. You know the needs in his body. Pray that you administer to him in Jesus' name. We pray for Skylar. God, that you would hold this sweet little girl in the palm of your hand. Keep your arms around her. I pray in Jesus' name that the presence of the Lord would be felt and that you would take care of the needs. We ask it in Jesus' name. In, in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. Thank the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. And uh, while our wonderful ushers are receiving our offering tonight, and as you give cheerfully, let me make a few announcements. Uh, this coming Sunday night, uh, this coming Sunday night for all of our serve team members, um, if you have a title behind your name, we're having a meeting in the A Center, and um, uh, we'd appreciate it very much if you could attend that meeting. Uh, also, on Saturday night, November the 11th at 6 in the A Center, uh, we're having a serve team member party. This is, again, for everybody that serves on a serve team. And um, you don't want to miss this one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Bunch and Breeze is going to be our special guest, and they will entertain you. And I just want to give all of you a heads up about Bunch and Breeze. When you come and listen to them, it's okay to laugh. Y'all don't do to them what y'all do to me all the time and just kind of sit and stare straight ahead and try to figure out what he just said. Uh, Bunch and Breeze is meant to be laughed at. And if you don't laugh at them, they get their feelings hurt. And we don't want that to happen. I don't want to do an hour of counseling with Bunch and Breeze because y'all didn't laugh. <laughs> and uh, so y'all get the point. It's going to be a lot of fun November the 11th. And then Sunday, December 10 is our Christmas service. And uh, we'll be hearing from our children and others. Uh, praise team has a, 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 an awesome presentation. And uh, you'll not want to miss that service. And invite folks out. And uh, this is probably one of our bigger services of the year. And uh, I actually, I remember last year, uh, we were pretty full. Uh, seating was starting to get kind of tricky. So uh, plan to be here for our Christmas service. It's going to be a great time. And then Sunday, December the 17th, on Sunday morning at 11, our general superintendent, Brother David Bernard, will be here ministering. And I would really appreciate it if Grace Church would show up for that Sunday. 
It'd be very meaningful if you would, and uh, to welcome and to appreciate our general superintendent who is doing a fine job with the United Pentecostal Church International. Uh, I can't imagine what his day is like every day. And um, he's a great man. Think the world of him. Have a lot of respect for Brother David Bernard. He's brilliant. God has blessed him. And I'm thankful to have him as our general superintendent. So we want to welcome him to Grace Church uh, that Sunday in fine fashion. So remember that. You folks believe that the holidays are right around the corner. Anybody done with your Christmas shopping yet? Has anybody started Christmas shopping yet? Two? Uh, three? Well, God bless you folks. You're, uh, you're on top of it. And uh, I'm all done with mine. <coughs> I, was, uh, I don't do that anymore for some reason. Uh, I've had other good folks that, that helped me out with that. So, But anyway, God bless you. Again, it's great to see you, and um, I've opted to uh, bring out the little podium tonight. To I just wanted to be a little closer uh, to you guys, especially for what I want to present to you tonight. I've been preaching for the past couple of three Sundays about vision, and um, I'm doing it to remind the folks here at Grace Church that's been here a while, that we're still a visionary church. And uh, we believe in church vision, and we believe people ought to have a personal vision. If you don't have a personal vision for your life, then your life isn't going anywhere. And uh, I'd like for you to think about that. And um, I want to make a couple of statements. I am convinced, um, I, I have noticed and realized that um, we have a number of folks here at Grace Church who have endorsed and embraced the concept of vision that not only are they doing well here in, in the church environment, but they're doing well in their jobs, they're doing well in their marriage, they're doing well as parents. Becoming visionary people is a huge key to being what you want life to be. Being a visionary person gives you a little bit of an advantage. You have uh, opportunities to control the outcome of life instead of the outcome of life controlling you. And I believe it's important to be a visionary. We've had a lot of folks that have developed vision. They've embraced the concept, the principle of it. But uh, we have many more that need to develop the principle and concept of vision, and so that's why I want to begin a series tonight that I'll be spending several weeks on concerning vision. Uh, I hope none of you think this is going to be a boring topic. I will tell you right now, and I'm not an inspirational speaker, I'm not a motivational speaker, um, but it would do you well to plan to be in service every Wednesday night for the next several weeks. This could change your life. If I can change your attitude and perspective on life, if God can change your attitude and perspective on life, then um, there are some great things that can happen for you. So I want to teach for a little while tonight, and uh, I'm going to start as quickly as I can. In, in preaching vision, I preach it to throw out to you not only who we are as a church and, and, and what our perspective is as a church and how we operate, 
but also throw out the possibility of it. I believe everybody has an opportunity to be a visionary. I believe everybody has the potential of being a visionary. And it's fun to preach. I enjoy preaching. Probably worship and vision is probably one or two of my favorite topics to preach. It's fun to preach it, but in preaching vision, you don't have the opportunity in that arena, in that environment, to go through the nuts and bolts of vision. So I don't want to throw out something to you that is a good idea without providing for you the how-to, the know-how on how to make it happen. So tonight for a little while, I want to talk to you about how to develop vision, how to develop vision. A lot of the material that I will use is based on a book titled Visioneering, and it's written by Andy Stanley. And um, so let me begin tonight, and I'm going to repeat some things that I've preached. And so if this sounds repetitious, I'm doing it on purpose because I want to connect what I've preached the last two uh, sermons on vision that I've preached here in, in about the past month. I want to connect those sermons with the material that I want to preach to you tonight. And where I felt preaching those two sermons on vision was a God thing. It's what God wanted me to do. I also feel inspired to teach tonight on how to do it. So let me begin by saying tonight, and I've said this in my message, probably the first five minutes of this will be what I've said in, in, in my last message on vision, is that life is a journey. Life is a journey. And every journey has a destination. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. But it's only a few people that end up somewhere on purpose. And that's what I want you to understand about vision. I would like for everyone here tonight, the Lord tarries, when you're in your old age, you can sit and talk to your grandkids and great-grandkids about how I was a visionary. Pastor taught us how to be visionary. And I accomplished in my life what I wanted to accomplish. I didn't end up where I'm at by chance. I ended up here with the empowerment of God and his vision for my life. A clear vision, along with the courage to follow through, a clear vision along with the courage to follow through dramatically increases your chances of coming to the end of your life and looking back with a deep satisfaction and thinking, I did it. I succeeded. I finished well. And my life counted. Without clear vision, chances are you will come to the end of your life and wonder what you could have done, what you should have done. And like so many, you may wonder if your life really mattered at all. Be amazed at how many church people I've had conversation along this line with. Pastor, I just don't feel like my life counts. And that's where the Bible said, where there is no vision, people perish. It's because you're not impacting people like you should. This is not just for your career. I care about your career and I care about your home. Our first priority is the kingdom. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom. 
So if you'll put the kingdom first, the blessing of God spins off of that. So vision, listen to pastor tonight, vision gives significance to otherwise meaningless details of our lives. It's not always about what we're doing, but rather why are we doing it. I asked you, I think it was two Sundays ago, to go home and write out your vision for the next two years of your life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, w I would love to know how many people actually did that. I would say with a crowd of this size here tonight, if there were 10 that did it, I would be amazed. Um, because people have a propensity, human nature has a propensity, to accept life as it comes. You accept whatever life gives you. You accept whatever life deals to you. And you let it control you. It controls your attitude, your outlook, your perspective. It controls all that. Instead of you taking life, and controlling it through vision, being a visionary person. So for those of you that did it, I'm going to try to give you tonight, I'm going to attempt to give you the nuts and bolts of, of, of how to develop a vision. You say, well, Pastor, what could be a vision for my life? Okay, let me throw out a couple of things. Um, could you envision yourself being a prayer warrior, a legitimate intercessor five years from now two years from now could you see yourself being the next manager on your job two years from now could you see yourself having all of your kids in church with you if not here serving God somewhere else can you envision having your spouse back in church with you here's the key here's the difference between hoping that will happen and being a visionary about it. Hoping that will happen, you will cling to every little circumstance and every little thing the person says or the things involved in that situation. You'll be concerned. You, you'll pay attention to every little thing that's said. And everything that's said that's good, you'll get all excited. And things that are negative, you'll get all depressed and say it'll never happen and all that kind of stuff. You'll let what life gives you pertaining to your desires control and dominate your perspective and your attitude about it. Whereas if you're a visionary, you will do your best to take control of all of that and you will start thinking of ways that I can make that happen. That's the difference. Most people live hopeful. Very few people live visionary. Visionary says, I'm going to plot a strategy to get my, my spouse back in church. I have an idea if I can get to the person. I'm not going to call them out right now. But if I can get to you after church, I have an idea for you concerning your spouse. I want to run it by you. So if you have a spouse that's not attending church, don't run out the door when church is over. You may be the person I want to talk to. be interesting to see how that falls out, won't it? <laughs> I may need to restate that. They're sitting over here in this section. That's all I'll say. So from all of you over here, y'all can go on. So. Anyway, uh, I'm going to have some fun here tonight if I can. But I'm very serious about that. I have an idea. Uh, but you begin to develop a plot or a strategy where this is what I want this to be in place in my life two years from now, and I'm going to start working right now to make that happen. Here's key number two. Not only do you plot and plan for that, 
But number two is you are not distracted by whatever happens. You do not give up. You do not quit. You don't throw in the towel. I'm going to do it. Come you know what or high water. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Grace Church didn't become what it is because the leadership here has been sitting on their hands and twiddling their thumbs. And we've had a lot of setbacks. But there's one characteristic that Pastor has, and y'all know I'm very transparent. There's one characteristic here that I love that I have, and it's I'm hard-headed. And when I make up my mind, I'm going to do it some kind of way. There's a lot of gaps at Grace Church right now, and there's a lot of gaps that I'm trying to fill and a lot of things I'm trying to put together, and I just keep getting one setback right after another. But I'm not going to stop. Because you have a goal. So keep those things in mind when we talk about vision. Vision is not something God drops in your lap, and it's a tiptoe through the tulips until it happens. That's not vision. It takes a lot of work, a lot of commitment. You sell out to it, and if you die without your vision coming to pass, you know what? People get up and say, buddy, they sold out to that. And the people you were trying to win are going to feel awfully guilty that they didn't come to God during your lifetime. You don't quit, folks. I could give you many inspirational stories along that line, but let me move on. <clears throat> if you'll notice the screen, vision brings your world into focus. Vision brings order to chaos. A clear vision enables you to see everything differently. Granted, we've all heard and read about vision before. There's plenty of self-help books out there that can tell us how to set goals and how to have vision. They teach that if you can believe, you can achieve, and all of that. And while the average person may have the right to dream his own dreams and develop his own picture of what his future could and should be, as followers of Christ, when we were born again, we surrendered all of that to Him. And there's no one more capable nor qualified than to take the reins of our life than God Himself. And you put your life in His hands. So we gave up that right to be in charge of our lives, and we agreed to follow Him. Paul said, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. One translation said, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So when you fall under the auspices of the power of the Holy Ghost, you have an advantage on finding in life what you're seeking for and what God wants for you over anyone else. So because of God having a vision or purpose for your life, why would you want to bring to pass your own thing? What could be more fulfilling than the plan that God has for you? Stanley said in his book, Visioneering, without God's vision, without God's vision, you may find yourself in the all-too-common position of looking back on a life that was given to accumulating green pieces of paper with pictures of dead presidents on them. Accumulating money or stuff is a vision of sorts, but it is the kind of vision that leaves men and women wondering, wondering if there was more, wondering what they could have done, should have done, with their brief stay on this little ball of dirt called earth, end quote. So as Christians, any vision that we can come up with will always fall short and leave us wondering. 
We serve an intensely creative God. We talk about the fact that no two snowflakes are alike. God has never created anything of two just alike. God has never created duplicates in anything. You talk about creative. So God's vision for you does not include trying to fit you into someone else's mold. He wants you to be you. So unless you discover God's unique vision for your future, your life may, may very well be a rerun of what your mama wanted, what your daddy wanted, what your spouse wanted, what your kids wanted, all of that. That is not what God intended. So to begin tonight with that little introduction in mind, over the next several weeks we'll be looking at, at the life and vision of Nehemiah of the Old Testament in relation to building vision. So the one thing that I find most encouraging about the story of Nehemiah is that he was just a regular guy. He was just a regular guy who caught a divine glimpse of what could and should be and then went after it with all of his heart. So let's begin tonight. What is vision and where does vision come from? A vision is born in the soul of a man or woman who is consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. And to be honest with you tonight, I've grown weary a long time ago with myself and others who sit on the sideline and just put up with whatever life feeds them. I know you can't control all of life, but the part of it you can through the empowerment of the Holy Ghost, you all take control of it and run with it as fast as you can. So anyone, anyone who is frustrated or brokenhearted about the way things are in light of the way they believe things could be, you are a candidate to be a visionary. Anyone, and there's people here tonight, anyone who is frustrated or brokenhearted about the way things are in light of the way they believe things could be, you are a candidate for vision. In other words, if you don't like the way your life is right now, you're a candidate to be a visionary. You can do something about it. In fact, that is how the vision for this church began. I became pastor of a good church 25 years ago. Right at 25 years ago. But I was immediately frustrated with the way things were. I'll never forget the first time I walked into the Baker Building. I'll never forget it. It is a, like a Polaroid image just stamped in my head, and I'm thinking, my word, how did this church end up like this? But then I said to myself, okay, big boy, since you've been elected pastor, what are you going to do about it? And I guess I'm just hard-headed enough. Y'all can use that against me all you want. But I guess I'm just hard-headed enough against the advice of my own mother about becoming the pastor of this church that it was a burnover field and it was pretty much hopeless. And all that did was feed the flame. Oh, buddy, by the help of God, I'm going to prove everybody and my mama wrong. <clears throat> so I immediately was frustrated with the way things were 
And there was huge tension in me over that because I believed there were other ways things should be. So through this process, God has given me a vision for the way this church could be and what it should be. And we're still working on it. It hasn't arrived. It hasn't arrived, but we're, we're still working on it. But however, I want you to notice tonight that vision is more than simply what could be. After all, what could be is simply an idea or a dream. Vision also carries with it a sense of conviction. It's not only what could be done, it's what should be done. So I'm not going to be a, a, an armchair quarterback. I'm not going to sit on the sideline and watch and say this is what should be done. I'm going to get out there in the middle of it, and I'm going to try to help make what could be done a reality. So it's something that must happen. Visionary people realize that whatever your vision is, it must happen. It moves you from passive concern to aggressive action. It moves you from a place of passive concern to aggressive action. Conviction is what gives vision a sense of urgency. Vision always stands in contrast to the world as it is. Vision always stands in contrast to your world as it is right now. Vision demands change. But a vision also requires someone to champion the cause. It takes someone who is willing to put his or her neck on the line. Someone who has the courage to act on an idea. You act on it. So this brings us to the story of Nehemiah and the building a vision process that we'll be looking at tonight and over the next several weeks. So around 587 B.C., the Babylonians invaded Judah and destroyed the city of Jerusalem along with Solomon's temple. This was the third of three campaigns into that region. And about 70 years after the first Babylonian invasion, Cyrus, king of Persia, gave the Jews permission to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel, these exiled Jews, by the way, all of our young parents that are still having children, I'd love for somebody to consider that name for your child. I'd be curious to see how old he was before he could spell it. Um, but these exiled Jews returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. These things were looking up for a while. It seemed as if Israel was on the verge of becoming a blessed nation once again. But the people refused to turn away from the very sins that God had judged their ancestors for. And so the temple was not being maintained. Sacrifices had ceased. The Jews continued to adopt the religious practices and culture of the surrounding nations. And by the time our story begins, the political, social, and spiritual condition in Jerusalem were deplorable. Meanwhile, back in Persia, a Jewish man named Nehemiah heard about the condition of his homeland. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, uh, that'd be a good name to consider for your, one of your kids coming up, and it, it came to pass in this month, Chislu, in the 20th year that I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left in captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. They said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Nehemiah 
was so moved by what he heard, he wept. It's not that he was weak or emotionally unstable, but he was burdened. In fact, he was so burdened that it said in verse 4 that he mourned and fasted and prayed for days. Little did he know that these deep feelings were the initial birth of pains, of a vision that people would be reading about thousands of years later. So notice, Nehemiah, Nehemiah's vision did not start out as a vision. It began as a concern or a burden for his nation and his people. So vision, developing a vision, number one. Vision begins as a concern, something that you are passionately concerned about. The spouse that's not going to church, the kids that aren't going to church, the parents that aren't in church, a terrible marriage, terrible kids, terrible job. You put anything you want in that blank. Vision begins with a concern about something. A God-ordained vision will begin as a concern or burden. This is biblical. You will hear or see something that gets your attention. Something will bother you about the way things are or the way things are headed. Unlike many passing concerns, this one thing will stick with you. Again, if it's a spouse, lost family, bad job, whatever you want to put in that blank. Now, I wouldn't recommend putting a list as long as the telephone directory in that blank because it's going to be hard to focus. You'll be so spread thin, you won't be any good anywhere. But put two or three things that's real important to you that you're really, really, really concerned about. It begins with concern. And you'll find yourself thinking about it in your free time. It'll stick with you. It won't pass. You may even lose sleep over it. You won't be able to let it go because it won't let you go. Nehemiah's concern over the condition of Jerusalem consumed him. It consumed him. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't get out of it. He couldn't stop it. It so enveloped him that he had to do something about it. It broke his heart. Thoughts of what was as opposed to what could be brought tears to his eyes. Here in America, we are enveloped by complacency. We're spoiled. Our culture lends to this idea, if we can't have it, in 30 seconds, don't worry about it, you'll never have it or whatever. And I know people with things on your plate, I don't know how you sleep at night. I don't know how you're not in these altars all the time. I don't know why you're not at the A Center praying. I don't understand it. You've accepted the fact that the things that are wrong in my life will always be wrong. I've prayed about it. Somebody told me not too long ago, I've been prayed for so much that I'm tired of being prayed for. Okay, well, did you ever want to be healed to start with? I want to tell you what people, what visionary people risk. I'll tell you one of the greatest risks is you give up people feeling sorry for you. Oh, you poor sister, I'm so sorry, all these horrible things happen. You, give, you have to give that up to become a visionary. You don't want that kind of treatment. 
You want somebody coming up and saying, you know what, boy, I see a fire in your eye. I Excuse me tonight, but I see a fire in your belly. And if you need somebody to come up here and pray with you, I will. If you need somebody to fast with you one day a week, I will. If you need somebody to encourage you, I will. I'm gonna get, that's the kind of people you surround yourself with when you become a visionary. You don't, uh, you don't surround yourself with the moaners and groaners and the powders and the offended and the hurt and the bitter and all that. You don't surround yourself with those kind of people. You surround yourself with people that wants to help you encourage what you're after. And to build this church over the past 25 years, I've had to be careful through the years who I've fellowshiped with a lot. I got tired of hearing it can't be done. You get tired of hearing that after a while. And family will feed that to you more than anybody else. Oh, why are you wasting your time out there? I've heard that. I just quit talking to those people for a while. One of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten was about a year ago from one of my family members, and I have to be real careful here, but there's a church in the area that needs revival. And this family member of mine has not gone to church in probably 40 years. And he said if that church really wanted a revival and to see it grow, they would have let Glenn Murphy as their pastor because if anybody could do it, he could. My family member told me that. It took me 25 years to get that statement. Y'all... Y'all feel me? Mamas can be real sweet and well-meaning, but they can sure knock the breath out of you sometimes. So Nehemiah's, what was going on in him was not a casual concern. It was a vision in the making. So what did he do? Listen to Pastor tonight. He didn't steal away across the desert in the middle of the night. He didn't fabricate a reason to leave Persia. He didn't even share his burden with other concerned Jews. But he also didn't allow daily responsibilities to distract him from his concern and from his burden that he just birthed. People who are spiritually ADD struggle with being visionaries because they can't keep a focus. You have to be, you have to maintain a focus. Let distraction come and go. Let distraction come and go. I'll be honest with you, it hit Grace Church hard. It hit Pastor hard when we lost David Farah to Memphis a year and a half ago. Knocked a hole in our ministry team. You talk about distraction, and I say that in all due respect. He understands the context of what I'm saying. But you don't stop. You don't quit. You're after one child in your family and the other one is being an idiot. You don't let the idiot stop you from trying to do what you want for the other one. Well, I just give up. All of my kids are insane, so I ain't going to help none of them. Don't do that. Keep your focus. Focus. Take your middle finger. Everybody do this right now. Get out your middle finger right here and just beat yourself on the forehead. Focus. Focus. And when you get distracted, just get out that finger and peck yourself on the head and say, keep your focus, keep your focus, keep your focus, keep your focus. Everybody with me tonight? I'm not preaching out of a Chinese telephone directory tonight. This is Bible. And we wouldn't be where we are right now without visionary men and women in our lives. So, he didn't share his burden with other Jews. He, He wasn't distracted. He didn't let anything distract him from what had just given birth in his heart. No, 
Nehemiah chose the third and the most difficult option. Listen to pastor, visionary people. He chose to wait. I don't know why God waited 16 years to give us this building. And then when we got here, we had to wait another 14 months before we got it. Sometimes, and I've noticed one of the greatest characteristics with visionary people is they have to learn to wait. And I find it that God, I, I believe God finds it humorous to find the most impatient people on the planet and then tell them to wait. I have paced this. God, you brought us here. We've been renting this building now for 10 months. Why can't we have it? Why can't He had a plan, and he just said, wait. Learned a lot of lessons from that. I've learned a lot of lessons. So what could be and what should be can't be. What could be and what should be can't be until God is ready for it to be so. So Nehemiah waited. Now back at chapter 2, the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, write it, and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. Make it public, advertise, market. We're visionary. We got a vision. We're going to make this happen. We're going to do it. Verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. So get up and proclaim you got a vision and then sit down. Because it may be months before it comes to pass. The reason God does this, in reference to us purchasing this building, there were several other huge factors that played into it. So where I thought I was ready, and I believe we were as a church, the seller wasn't ready. And he hadn't exhausted all the other people that wanted to buy it. God let it run through a process so that when we finally got it, God proved and showed that he wanted us to have this building and no one else was going to have it but us. But it took him a long time to run everybody through that cycle and let the mayor take a shot at it, let the school board take a shot at it and run through all of that so that when we ended up with it, we could truly say God did it. So proclaim your vision and sit down and wait on God. And you don't get distracted, you don't give up, you don't give in. It may take a month for your vision to come to pass. It may take 10 years, but don't give up. Don't accept it. Number two, vision does not necessarily require immediate action. A lot of people have good ideas. Many times God has maybe in the process of birthing a vision in, in hearts of people. But most of the time, people, visionary people, want to start now. I want to do it now. But the story of Nehemiah, along with numerous other biblical accounts, illustrates the truth that a clear vision does not necessarily indicate a green light to begin. You do everything you can to make it happen. The rest is up to God. And we have to accept that. Too often when a person with an idea that seems to be a God-ordained vision charges out of the gate too early, the result is discouragement, disillusionment, and even failure. A vision rarely requires immediate action. And across the board, visions always requires patience. Many people ask, why wait? After all, there are people to rescue. Why not just jump into it and let's get going right now? Because developing and discovering a vision is a process. And sometimes it's painful. 
and agonizing, but it's always worth every bit of the agony along the way. Waiting oftentimes seems like a waste of time. The assumption is since we aren't moving ahead, there's nothing going on. But that is not the case at all. Some important things are taking place while we wait. While not every good idea is vision material, every vision does begin with an idea. Not all burdens are vision material, but every vision begins as a burden. Remember that burden begins with exposure. There's folks here tonight that you're living a lifestyle right now that you never thought you'd live. When you got married, it was intended to be happy ever after. When you and your spouse was in church together, it was intended to be you and your churches and spouse in the church from now on. But something happened, and now you're faced with a whole new situation in your life. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to accept that situation. You don't. You can if you want, but you don't have to. And I have far more respect for people who die trying than those who fail to try at all. There are things we can do. Immature visions are weak. They rarely make it to the real world. And as we wait, not only does the vision mature, but we also mature and become ready for the fulfillment of that vision. Many times the tendency is to assume that since I know what I'm supposed to do and I'm ready to do it, but God has to grow us into our vision just as a vision must be God-ordained. It must be done according to God's timetable. Paul said, For it is God which worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, not yours. Do all things, do all things without murmuring and without disputing. One translation said, For God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him and everything you do. Stay away from complaining and arguing. So everything you do includes waiting. And yet often we complain about waiting and argue with God that our timing is better than his. Have you ever, have you ever met someone who had a good idea but bad timing? Have you ever talked to anybody like that? You remember Moses in the Bible? Y'all remember Moses? He had the right idea, but his timing and methods were horrible. His vision was to free his people from Egyptian slavery. Y'all remember that? Okay. And that that was a God thing, if there ever was one, right? Okay. So what did Moses do? He went to work, got over-anxious, got real excited, and he went to work. And he killed an Egyptian. If Moses had embraced his idea of delivering God's people, how many Egyptians would he have had to kill a day and get away with it to deliver God's people? A whole bunch. You talk about serial killer. Moses would be in the newspaper. He took matters into his own hands, and he almost ruined God's plan. And so God shipped him out to the backside of the desert for 40 years to get that out of him. I'm just saying we're a whole lot better off to do it God's way to start with, right? And a whole lot of the bind a lot of us are in tonight is because we took matters into our own hands, etc. So we have to wait 
on God. And the University of Sinai, it taught Moses a lesson. So Nehemiah, on the other hand, had it pretty easy by comparison. He only had to wait four months where Moses had to wait for 40 years. Nehemiah still had to wait four months before the wheels of his vision started turning. But working for the king of Persia was still somewhat of a desert experience for him. Nehemiah was a man with an intense leadership ability who awoke every day to do a job that tapped little or none of his skills. Do you wake up every day to circumstances that seem to have nothing to do with the vision you sense God is developing on the inside of you? If you do, then you're in good company. Joseph of the Old Testament rehearsed his vision from an Egyptian dungeon. Moses, again, spent 40 years following sheep. David, the teenage king, spent years in hiding in caves. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king whose ancestors had destroyed the very city that he was longing to rebuild. So be encouraged. God has you where he has you for a reason. Not only does the vision need to mature, but we need to mature to be prepared for the vision. But God is also working behind the scenes to prepare the way. So that is why it is so important to wait on his timing. And so remember that the vision God has for your life is only a small piece of the entire puzzle. God's vision for your life is much bigger than you. Apart from his intervention and preparation, you and I are incapable of pulling off even the smallest part of the operation God wants to do. So in conclusion tonight, one of the most difficult things related to vision is distinguishing between good ideas and God ideas. We all have good ideas. Everybody's concerned or burdened about something. But how do you know which idea to act on? So if it is God who has given you a vision of what could be and what should be, over time you'll begin to sense that not to follow through with it would be an act of disobedience. As the burden in your heart grows, you feel compelled to take action. Your only alternative to following through is to say, no, I refuse to move in that direction. And I've seen people do that, and life comes back with a very sad response. A God-ordained vision will be in line with what God is up to in the world. There will always be a correlation between what God has put in an individual's heart to do and what he is up to in the world at large. So as a believer and follower of Christ... There is a larger, more encompassing context for everything you do. So after all, it wasn't the condition of the walls that broke Nehemiah's heart. It was a spiritual condition of the people. I want to say that again. Nehemiah did not weep and cry because the physical city of Jerusalem was in bad shape. He wept and cried because of the spiritual condition of the people who lived in it. And I've heard people around here weep and cry over the condition of churches and church buildings and what have you. Our focus needs to be on the people. It needs to be on the people that are bitter, that are hurt, that won't go to church anymore. That's where our focus needs to be. That's our strategy. Nehemiah didn't necessarily want to go back and rebuild a temple, even though that's what he helped to do. His vision was to rebuild the the people so whoever built a temple would have people to worship in it. So if the idea you're mulling over is from God, it will become apparent 
how the thing you feel compelled to do connects with what God is up to in our community and in our world. So I'm going to stop right here with 10 seconds left. Boy, I'm good. And I want to encourage all of you here tonight, don't give up on your family. Don't give up on people around you. Don't give up on the negative things in your life. But determine that with the help of God, I'm going to do everything I can about it. And that's all I can do. I'm going to leave the rest up to God. So if you want your marriage to be better, all you can do is what you can do. The rest will be between your between God and your spouse. If you want your family to be better, the same thing applies. If you want your job to be better. But I'm here to encourage you tonight that you're not on your own working the way you work and living the way you live. There's the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. If you'll listen to it, if you'll listen to its voice, if you'll listen to what the Word of God says, if you'll listen to what pastor's teaching tonight, your life can begin a change tonight, a change of direction, a change of attitude, and what have you. What's the little prayer? God grant me the serenity to do what? You change what you can change and accept what you can't change. And the wisdom to know the difference. And that's where we lack is the wisdom to know the difference because we accept way too much. I'm telling you folks here tonight, I live this every day. I'm not perfect at it. I'm not great at it. But I did sit down with a pastor Monday, pastor friend, not in this area, that said, I don't know what's going on in your church and why y'all are growing, but I want to know about it, and I want you to come and share with me your vision for your church. And I say that humbly. I'm telling you, you can take, you take what part of life that God gives you to control and you take control of it and leave the rest up to him and follow his lead. You can do it. Can we do it? Yes, we can. Thank the Lord. Love you, folks. Thank you all for being here tonight. I hope you gleaned a lot out of this. My word, I didn't say you're dismissed. And we have people bolting out the building like it's on 